Good morning, all. Good to see you. How are you all? All right, good. Not getting too stressed with Christmas and all that? No? Good. Uh, my name is Chris Kimmons. Together with Nick, we have the pleasure and privilege of leading um, Asher Vineyard. We had this, um, I was listening to this question the other day of how do you do transition? Someone very like old and wise was being asked, how do you do transition in a church from one uh, leader or leaders to the next leaders? And they were asking this other person, and the answer I found startling. It just didn't predict it at all. And the answer was, it depends whether you see church as business or family. And that will guide you as to how you transition. We're not going anywhere, but... Um, well, I'll tell you. But it made me... No, the reason I said that is because Nick and I have always thought we will lead this for a bit and then God will tell us to jog on somewhere else and go and cause havoc somewhere else. Um, but then we realised, you know what, we might end up actually always in some ways being a part of here because this is family and you can't really change your family. So I'm sorry if that's bad news <laughs> for you. If you're like, oh, I've been praying you out for years. <laughs> Um, you might have to pray harder, who knows? Anyway, so um, who's heard of Myers-Briggs? The personality type. Okay, um, there are 16 personality types. If you've never done the little mini test, you can do like a, a cheap version. By cheap, I mean free. Uh, go to 16personalities.com and you can do it there. I am, I'm an ENFJ. Um, some of you, anyone else out of interest is an ENFJ? I would doubt it. Kaz, are you Kaz? You and me. Oh, okay. Here we go then. So I'm about to tell you um, about an ENFJ, and this is all very much related to so ENFJs. They are natural-born leaders, full of passion and charisma, forming around two percent of the population. That's all. They are often our politicians, our coaches, and our teachers reaching out and inspiring others to achieve and to do good in the world. With a natural confidence that then gets influence, ENFJs take a great deal of pride and joy in guiding others to work together to improve themselves and their community. People are drawn to strong personalities and an ENFJ radiates authenticity, concern and altruism, unafraid to stand up and speak when they feel something needs to be said. They find it natural and easy to communicate with others, especially in person, and their intuitive, N, trait, helps people with the ENFJ personality type to reach every mind, be it through facts and logic or raw emotion. ENFJs easily see people's motivations and seemingly disconnected events and are able to bring these ideas together and communicate them as a common goal with an eloquence that is nothing short of mesmerising. I didn't write this, I, I promise you, I didn't write this. People with the ENFJ personality type are passionate altruists, sometimes even to a fault, and they are unlikely to be afraid to take the slings and arrows while standing up for the people and ideas they believe in. It is no wonder that many famous ENFJs have been US presidents. This personality type wants to lead the way to a brighter future, whether it's by leading a nation or leading their little league softball team to a hard-fought victory. Well, there we go. So that is me. Um, and um, do you know what it really is? It is quite uncanny. Uh, the, uh, the, if you go to 16personalities.com, look up ENFJ. There's pages of our faults. 
But I just read you out the highlights of the good bits, basically. <laughs> but uh, there, there are loads of faults there as well, I can assure you, before you think, good grief, he sounds amazing. No. Now, the point, the reason I say that is because God asked me a question recently, which was, why don't you like other people being apathetic? And I, I left it in my journal unanswered. Because, you know, you know, when God is asking you a question, he doesn't need the answer because he already knows the answer. He's asking it for your benefit. So as soon as I didn't know the answer, I thought, hmm, I'll part that for a while. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I remember that ENFJ thing. <clears throat> for me, I am that type of person. And the reason I'm saying this is because it's not entirely a good thing. It's half good thing, half trap. And that is, if I do a call to arms and say, come on, we need to charge the hill, type thing, I want everyone to come. And when they don't, I'm always bemused as to why they don't feel as passionate about it as I do. Um, because I think it should be one for all, an awful one, and we do this thing together, that thing, okay? So the reason I'm saying that is because I want you to know that that is something that is a God-given thing in me, while at the same time it can trip me up. Because it causes me to often feel... Um, uh, ironically, it can make me feel almost a bit, why do I bother? I just don't even know why I bother. You know, as it happens this morning, this is a great one, Nick and I get this loads on a Sunday. Loads and loads. I don't know why you even bother. I mean, look how many people haven't come. I mean, what you, what you do and what you stand for here at Asher Vineyard isn't even strong enough to get some people out of their beds because they had a late night the night before. I don't know why you bother. Like that. Loads of, loads of the time. So the reason, I'm, the reason I'm saying all this is because if you pick up any of that sense of, mm, as I go through this bit of the Bible, which feels a bit, uh, -y, then please don't take it personally. It isn't meant to be a personal thing. Um, I just recognise that I have that come on thing. And we all want to buy in together and do this thing together. So this is from a book called, it's called James, because it was written by a guy called James, who was, is considered widely to be Jesus' half-brother. Same mother, different dad, uh, obviously. Um, so this is uh, the book of James. And he is writing this letter, James is, sometimes called Jacob. He is writing it to a whole bunch of new Christians who are having issues. We don't know what all the issues are, but some of it you can start to pick up as you read and you think, hmm, I wonder what he's answering here. So what I want you to do, this is really important to me, do not hear this as a telling off. You have to, you have to bear with for about eight minutes and then it becomes a little bit clearer, but it sounds like a, like a right old telling off when we start. Bear with. You have become spiritual adulterers. Told you who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world, don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says, the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us? But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. So then, surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him and he will turn and run away from you. Move your heart 
closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. Wow. Why don't you tell it how it is next time, James? Honestly, I've no idea what you're talking about in there. Pussyfooting around. I'm coming back to that, but let me ask you a question. This is not a guilt-laden question. It is merely a question. How hungry are you to see more of God in your own life and in the lives of those around you and the town? You need to be honest with yourself. I'm not going to ask you like, to say anything out loud, so don't lie to yourself. How hungry, honestly, actually are you to see God move more in your life and in the lives of others in this town? Let me go through this a little bit at a time, and that question that I've just asked you about hunger will start to make a bit more sense. You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Okay, let's have a look at this. So James is saying here, God, when he breathed his spirit into you, God has made inside you, it is a jealous lover, God is. In other words, he's saying, God says, I don't want you to give your affections elsewhere. I want your affections to be on me. And not because he's egotistical, but because he is so wonderful. And he's saying, I don't want you to give your affection in other places. I don't want you to give lots of your attention in other places. So it says about when you are flirting with the world's values, it places you outside of what, of what God wants to do with you. So let me just give you a few of the world's values. I've got three here, and they're all hideous. You can be what you want to be and do what you want to do as long as you don't upset anyone. Once upon a time, in culture, um, pre-modernism and a little bit of modernism, we're now definitely post, you had a sense of right and wrong. And it was an out there thing. The sense of right and wrong was over there, and then it was up to you to adjust your life effectively to fit in with that sense of right and wrong. Yes, do you understand what I mean? Okay, so it used to be a remote thing. It used to be like there, well, that's just not right. You do it because it's right. And, and what, it, what it can produce, obviously, there's byproducts that are bad. It's a sense of law and well, you just have to, and you know, these kind of things. Obviously not that, but nevertheless, there is a sense of right and wrong. Right and wrong has moved from out there, and right and wrong is now in here. Well, I can be whatever I want to be. I can identify as anything. It's my choice. You can't make me. There are all kinds of movements and things that are going on in the world at the moment um, that I really don't want to get into and name because it will get too complicated and people will start taking it personally. But it's my body. It's my choice. It's down to me. I can do what I like as long as I don't hurt anyone. That is one of the world's values. Another one. Anything goes. Anything. Doesn't matter, does it? Anything goes. What about this one? All people are fair game. You can speak about anyone you like, however you like, because I've got the right to say what I think. All those three are hideous. They're ugly. They're not attractive. And I will just take this moment just to mention 
For example, social media. I am increasingly, I'm, I'm in a total dilemma because social media has an incredible ability to be able to connect people. And I realize that I, I count, if you in a sense hear me right, as like a public figure in the sense of I, I want people to be able to connect with me. But unfortunately to connect with me, I have to go into the hell pit that is social media. <laughs> and it is diabolical the way people speak about other people on social media. It is an utter disgrace. How dare anyone speak about anyone like that? And all you have to do, Nick sometimes um, does this, where there's a television programme on and Nick will catch up with the Twitter feed as it's going. And you know, half the comments are like fine and they're joking, whatever. And then people absolutely slate people, calling them the most hideous, atrocious names. And like, whoa, that's someone's daughter you're talking about. You don't even know them. So why don't you put your phone down and get a life? Honestly, it's such a passion. I hate it. People have not got the right to say those things. Brexit, stop moaning. Stop moaning about Brexit. And this is not a political comment. We have got the King of Kings and the Ancient of Days living on the inside of us. If you've said yes to God, then, then you have that relationship. What are you worried about? Stop moaning. Pray for those who are in authority over you and leave Theresa May alone and actually start praying for the poor woman. Do you want her job? I wouldn't want her job. Someone else sets her up for a fool. Wow. Get clap for supporting. I'm not even supporting Theresa May. I'm just saying can, can, people have got to stop trying to trip up. It's the British thing. We don't like anyone who's good. Anyone who's been following Strictly, you'll see the four finalists, the two best ones, without a doubt, got full marks in the final. They got 40 and 40 and 40 for the three dances. Of course they didn't win. Brits don't like people who do well. We get on social media and we bring them down a peg or two. How dare they be good at anything? Not in America, they love it in America. But not in this country, we don't like people who are good. So we use social media to pan people. And so, I, I look at us as a, as a people, anyone, anyone who says that God is their dad, anyone who recognises that God is their dad and is in a relationship with that, please be careful what you type. Why don't you use what you type on social media to build someone up? And even when there's a whole string, a whole thread, Nick read one out yesterday, a whole thread of people moaning that where there's this new cinema in Ashford, You've got to pay for the parking. I can't believe you've got to pay for the parking. It's an outrage. Blah, 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 blah. And then someone put on there, why is everyone running about the parking? Why can't we be really grateful that we have another cinema in Ashford that is beautiful and has been created to bring more people into the town and blah, blah. And you're like, good for you, love. You'll last about two minutes because everyone will just panner. But that's what we should be doing. Or don't bother or get off social media. But please do not join in with just panning people. God did not give you, us, social media to slate people. He gave it to us so we can build people up, make them feel special, make them feel precious, make them feel like they're making a precious and needed contribution. And if you've got nothing good to say, don't say it. If you've got nothing good to say, cut your fingers off. I don't know. Put gloves on. Whatever you need to do, put mittens on. There you go, put mittens on until you, until you can control yourself. 
I have been known to write emails and not send them. And then the following morning, I think, I'm glad I didn't send that. Delete. Um, but it gets it out of my system. Anyway, off soapbox. So, the whole point of all this is whoever chooses to be a friend with the world to make himself God's enemy. It sounds like James is giving them a right old telling off. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover, intensely desires to have more and more of us, etc., etc.? He continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you're proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. The question is this. How hungry are you to see God move? How hungry are you to see God move? You say, what has that got to do with what he's saying here? Everything. Because what he's saying here is, you are, you are playing over here. Your heart isn't committed to the things of God and wanting to see God move. You're doing all these things over here. You're playing around. You're buying into some of the world's values. You're getting sucked into it. But God, Father God is a jealous lover. He just loves you. Just come and be embraced by him. You don't need to be embraced by porn. Come and be embraced by him. You don't need to be embraced by buying more things new or getting drunk. You can come and be embraced just because he loves you. I am absolutely sure that Charlotte did not mean earlier on beer equals happiness. I quickly looked it up in the concordance. I couldn't find it anywhere. I don't know which translation she was using. Sure she didn't, just joking aside. And this is what God is doing in me at the moment. I keep saying, God, I've got to see more of you. I don't know if you've noticed, but church fixes almost nothing. Like it really doesn't. And I speak as someone who leads one. Like church fixes almost nothing. It doesn't do nothing. It fixes almost nothing. This is amazing. 120 plus hampers over there. It's brilliant. I'm not knocking that. Not at all. Not in the slightest. That is amazing. It's wonderful. It's brilliant. I love it. But that's not fixing ills. That's a beautiful and wonderful gift of a sticking plaster. But that doesn't tackle the person's fear who gets that box. Well, it might do now because we prayed for the boxes. That doesn't tackle the person's sense of inadequacy who gets that box. It doesn't tackle the deep-rooted question of, am I enough? Have I got what it takes for the person who gets that box? Wouldn't it be amazing, actually, if as they opened the box, we saw cancers healed like that? Well, that'd be amazing. That's what we long for. But nothing in those boxes is going to heal cancer. It's not the church. It's not the church that's needed. It is the Spirit of God that's needed. There have been many revivals that have broken out. So just to explain what revival is, the God who is everywhere seems to turn up somewhere and stuff starts happening. Like you see extraordinary healings, like lots of them. People saying yes to Jesus. People running to try and find a church where they can kneel down and say, I've just got to give my life to God. Amazing things like this. Stuff you have to say you don't normally see. I've read about many of these all over the world. And some of them you will have also read about, if you're that way inclined. There's only one thing that they've all got in common, and that's this. There have been one person or a group of people who become desperate 
to see God move. Are you desperate? I'm not. Not yet. I'm getting desperate. I can tell because I'm getting hacked off. And that means I'm on the way to becoming desperate. See, we don't really like being hungry because it's not a very nice feeling being hungry, is it? I mean, if any of you have ever fasted or gone without a meal or something, you'll know it's not a pleasant feeling. Oh, I love being hungry. No one ever says that. It's not actually a pleasant feeling at all. I get pretty hangry, I have to say, um, uh, which is hungry and, and angry. Um, and, uh, I just get a bit narky and whatever. And it's just because I'm hungry. Being hungry is not a particularly nice feeling. But in me, at least, and therefore vicariously in you as well, God is saying, are you willing to become desperate? What will it take? What would you be willing what would you be willing to do to see me move in the way you long for me to move? Now, this is where the word of caution comes. This is not law. This is not, you have to do this. If you are saying, oh gosh, is Chris about to list off a load of things I need to do? No. And if you're even asking, even mentioning the word need, you've missed the point. This isn't something God is needing you to do or I'm needing you to do. You have to do this. Oh, I have to pray more. Mm-mm. Where'd you get that from? Who said you have to pray more? Where did that come from? Because that's not the way God works. He leads you. He draws you. Okay? So if you're feeling that, that's not, that's not of, of, um, of God. But it's this question, what would you be willing to do? And God is asking me at the moment, how desperate would you be willing to get, Chris? Well, how desperate do I need to get God? Can we, just, can, we just talk, can we just talk tactics a minute, um, God? Because, like, I don't mind praying a bit more, but, like, have I, have I got to live in a place of hunger and desperation? Because I'm not, I'm not massively big on that, if I'm honest. And God says, well, would you? Would, would you be willing to do that? If, that? if that was what it took to see my Holy Spirit running down streets like a river... I've said to God, I don't care enough yet. I need to care more. Do you know how you know when you care enough? And it, this is also in the book of James. How you know when you care enough. You can say, oh, I've got great faith, or I've got a great relationship with God, and that sort of thing. If you don't cry over the hopelessness that people live with, then I don't know, I don't know which God you think you're following. I will be that blunt. God's heart absolutely, utterly breaks over people who don't know him. And even some of the pain where people do. And James said, you can say you've got faith, but I'll show you my faith by my actions. It's, it's uncomfortable stuff. But I have said to God, will you make me more hungry? I want to be more hungry. I want to care. We had an amazing thing. I came down on Tuesday night. Um, very briefly, for a whole other reason. But anyway, I came in and I saw Table Tennis Club in here. Wonderful. Um, obviously, I have a slight vested interest. I was the one that started it a few years ago, but then Steve Tanton has done an amazing job. Really, really great job. And I came in here, and for something else, actually, and almost stopped in my tracks as I looked around the room. Wow. I said, Steve, wow, tonight. He said, got 24 in. He said, and some of the regulars aren't even here yet. I said, 24, that's amazing. People playing tables all over the place, you know. And he said, do you know what most people come for? 
they come, it's like a social club where they get to play a bit of table tennis. That's what he said about it. And shall I tell you something really quite sad about it? I knew, I knew what Nick would feel. I filmed it. Mainly, I sent it out to the cluster leaders as well, but mainly I filmed. I said to Nick, do you mind if I just film 20 seconds? He said, no, no, go for it. So I did, you know, just a quick pan round type thing. And I got home and I showed it to Nick and we both had exactly the same reaction. Here we are, as a church, a community of people in Ashford, passionate about bringing life to Ashford. You've got a room full of people who don't know Jesus. And one Christian in the room. And it's looking like Table Tennis Club might have to close. I cried. It's the only possible reaction. And it's nothing, got nothing to do with table tennis. There are other table tennis clubs. Steve said to me, see that guy there? He's really good. I said, like, really good? He went, yeah, really good. I said, why is he here? Like, I'm not being funny, but like, there's all kind of abilities, you know. And he said, oh, he doesn't come for the table tennis. He used to join a club. He was used to be at a table tennis club for the table tennis. He comes here because people talk to him. Room full of people who don't know Jesus. It's what's called being shown up. It really is. Um, and I know that's uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong, it's uncomfortable for me. We lead the place. It's just uncomfortable. So God is saying, what are you, what are you, willing, what are you willing to go through to become that hungry? Are you brave enough to say, God, will you make me more hungry? It's, it's uncomfortable. And often, often we can become hungry for something because the situation we're in becomes bad enough that in the end you end up saying, well, I'm going to have to be hungry because it's going to be better than this. And actually, I love Asher Vineyard. Nick and I are passionate about it. You are family. We love you all. But we have barely scratched the surface of what Nick and I and many others, what we dream of seeing happen here. What we dream of seeing happen. We see lives being transformed. We've said that thing so many times where we've said, we want there to be zero suicides in Ashford. None. Oh, Chris, how are we supposed to do that? I don't know. But let's get on our knees until we find out. Let's do something about it. Let's make some connections with some people who maybe feel hopeless and doubt. What can we do? Let's do some practical stuff. Let's get on our knees because we need the Spirit of God to come and do something. There was someone, unfortunately, on the road just up the top here. Someone lost their life on Friday night in a car accident. I love the fact that Liz Thatcher sent round the news article to the rest of the cluster leaders and said, not on our watch. What are people doing dying in car accidents in Asheville when we're all sat here? It shouldn't be happening. We can make a difference with those things. And yeah, seatbelts matter and... Roll cages and airbags, all those things matter. They're brilliant. It's not like, oh, we suddenly become super spiritual and we don't do any of the practical. No, we do both. I show you my faith by what I do. Wouldn't it be wonderful that we could declare that no one else tries to jump off the Eureka Skyway Bridge? Ever, ever, ever. This is the kind of stuff we should be fighting for. God says, how desperate are you? Are you willing just to say, oh, God, please help no one jump off the skyway? Oh, another one. 
Oh, God. Oh, well. Uh, right, so what's for lunch? Um, like, when, when? When is it going to hit that hard? Are we going to let it hit that hard? So, let me just tell you very quickly, because we need to wrap up. There's one of the reasons we stop being hungry is a reason that you will all know well, and that is this. When our children, if you have them, our children come to us 20 minutes before lunch and say, can I have a piece of cake? You say, no, because it will, it will spoil your lunch. Exactly, it will spoil your lunch. That is the reason that so many of us aren't, aren't hungry. And I'm including myself in this. I'm not, it's not aimed at you, it's aimed at us. If I am going to, when lunch is at 12, if I am going to, at 20 to 12, have a piece of cake, have a bag of crisps, a chunk of cheese, a bit of cucumber, so I'm working my way through the fridge, a bit of cucumber, and then one solitary tomato with salad cream on top. Then come lunchtime at 12 o'clock, I'm not going to be very hungry. And some of the reason that many of us aren't particularly hungry for God or hungry for change is because we just anaesthetise our lives with other things. And that's really uncomfortable. It's just not nice. But it's so true. I see myself do it. I know I have three anaesthetics that I use. I'm not telling you what they are um, because they're personal things, as in they're not for public broadcast. But we all have those things that you anaesthetise yourself with. I don't want to anaesthetise myself. I want to embrace the hunger. I want to embrace, dare I say, a sense of desperation. This can't carry on. Sometimes I walk up Ashford High Street or I go anywhere and I look and I think, I don't know you, 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 I don't know you, or you, or you, or you. Oh, there's someone I know. Okay, I don't know you. I don't know you. All those people, I'm like, what's going on in your life? I know God absolutely loves you, absolutely, utterly loves you. I'm not asking you to have that thing. It's just a spin on my head. It's great. Um, so God says this. He goes on to say, he resists you when you're proud, but continuously pours out grace when you're humble. So what does this mean in connection with all this? It means this. If we keep being self-sufficient, God is not going to be able to pour anything into our hands. He's like, I've got this, God. I've got this. I'm, I'm Okay. One of the ways you know you're being self-sufficient is when you ask for extra prayer on a certain day because you got an interview. That's evidence you're being self-sufficient. What? I've just asked for extra prayer. Yeah, I know. What makes you think you need prayer today more than you did yesterday or more than you do tomorrow? God's looking to bring his kingdom through you in every place, at all times, in every circumstance. Good grief. I need him to even get out of bed in the mornings. Much less, well, I've got an interview. So God, today I need you. Tomorrow, it's okay, I've got it. I've checked my diary. I've got it. Honestly, it's all in hand. I tell you what, you take the day off, God. Chill out with someone else. Go, on, go and fix someone else's problems. They probably need you in Brussels. Oh, two political comments in one morning. Anyway, so, um, but that's it. It has to become a God, I need you every day. I long for you every day. I'm not satisfied that I keep seeing people who don't know you. I keep seeing people who are hopeless. I keep seeing people who are sick and I just walk on by. I can't fix everything, of course. And there's the starfish thing. You can't fix all of them, but I made a difference for that one. I know that. 
This isn't about us going and fixing Ashford to the hills and out we go. This is how desperate are we willing to get? How hungry are we to see God move more? So I've got three things. These aren't going to apply to you. As it happens, um, someone came up to me after the first service and said, oh, they're my three as well. But these are the three things that God has challenged me in. Well, this is actually, no, that's not fair to say because I don't want you to hear that. God's saying, how desperate are you willing to get? I've looked to see some things in my life that are in the way. That's a better way of putting it. God hasn't told me to do this. And I thought, hmm, one of them definitely is getting overtired, gets in the way of me connecting with God. Definitely does. I see things in a different way when I'm tired. And I'm just not always up for the fight when I'm tired. So, number one, earlier beds. That's one of the things I'm going to do. It's not quite New Year's resolution, but I just want to try and make that change. Number two, I want to try and create more space in my diary, particularly. It's not that I'm super busy. Busy isn't really the right word. I want brain space. I want space between things because I want to hear what God's saying about the next thing that I'm stepping into before I'm already in the car. As it happens, I'm going straight from here to somewhere else and I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss that space. That's, that's something else. So number one, earlier beds for me. Number two, create more space. Number three, I'm going to read less news. I have a news feed on my phone. It's one of the things I just go to probably five, six times a day. I go to the news feed on my phone. All kinds of things come into there. Gives me the latest news on Liverpool. Gives me the latest news on Apple. Um, I have the sun come in there so I can see what the tabloid people are reading and I just about force myself through it. BBC comes in, Sky News, The Independent, all kinds. But you know what? I'm finding that I am starting to imbibe, if you like, the viewpoints of people who walk in a hopelessness of not knowing Jesus. I'm starting to think like them because I read enough of I read it too much. It's starting to affect me. What they're saying about, let's take Brexit, what they're saying about Brexit is only true from the perspective of someone who has no idea just how good God is as a dad. And so all I keep being told is, these, is this stuff, is this stuff all the time. Oh, everything's in crisis. It's terrible. It's this, it's that. And like, wow. And then you read The Sun, you think, wow, what is that about? <laughs> so I do just need to tell you, just a little reminder, while it feels a bit soapboxy this morning, you know that newspapers are a business. They're trying to sell stories, right? You do know that. So please don't believe everything you read um, in them. But for me, I just want to read less news. I'll try and check the news probably once a day. I like to just keep abreast of, okay, is there anything major going on in the world so I can be praying, thinking, do we need to respond, that kind of thing. But you just scroll and then I'm reading about celebrities who've got a new fake tan. That's scrolling, by the way, if you didn't know what that was, that's scrolling. It's, it's the new universal sign language for scrolling. Um, okay, anyway, we digress. So I encourage you to ask God to just do a bit of business with him over this hunger thing. How hungry are you willing to be? Because I know this, if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So if you, don't, if you make no changes in your life right now, then probably this time next year, it'll probably look a little bit like it does now. But that's no obligation. It's an invitation from God to say, how hungry are you going to be? If you want to see change, come and step into that sense of change with me and I'll help you through it. 
We're going to pray because we need to stop. I'm well over. I'm so sorry. Let's pray. Stand and pray. Can we? Is that right? Father, thank you that you have poured your love on us. And we are sorry when we give our affections to other places and just get distracted from you. I know you're not up there sort of big and angry with a big stick, but you just miss us. You're a jealous God. You long for our hearts and our affections. Father, we are full in this town of people who need you, some of whom recognize they need you, most people who don't recognize they need you. God, we want to be the answer to that. We want to get in there and get in the play. God, will you do that in us? Will you make us hungry? Will you make us desperate? Will you make our hearts break for the things that break yours? Thank you, God. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.